Hello, this is Sophia. And I'm Victoria. And you're listening to It's All History to Me, Auburn's History Radio Hour at 8 a.m. on Thursdays. Each week, we will interview a history professional with the theme of uncovering untold stories. Let's get started. I am in a conventional dither with a conventional star in my eye. And you will know there's a lump in my throat when Hello, and welcome back to It's All History to Me, here live, same time and place as last semester, at 8 a.m. on Thursdays. Um, after like a month and a half break, we're really excited to be back and here for our third season, which is crazy to me that we're already on season three. I feel like we just started. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. It's great to be back and crazy that we're already on season three. Yeah. Um, lots of fun plans for this semester. Um, we're going to celebrate our one year anniversary as a podcast in March, which is crazy that we've been doing this for a whole year and um, we'll do a fun episode and lots of other really fun episodes and we have lots a really great guest lineup that you won't want to miss but you won't because it's at the same time and place and available a lot after wherever podcasts can be scre- can be streamed so for if you've been if this is not your first time um you know that each the each semester we do a theme that sort of ties across the semester with all of our guests and what they do um, together, and this semester we're excited to announce that it is Bridging the Past and Present. We wanted to do focus on a theme that sort of made it more relevant to the modern day. I think that's something that, like, a, I think maybe a lot of our professionals would, who come on here would agree, and I know that, like, I can personally agree that a lot of people are like, why does it matter? Mm-hmm. Like, why do we care? And we're hoping that with this season we can sort of say, like, this is why it matters in the hopes of that, but also understanding, like, also creating an understanding that in order to really understand the present, you must first understand the past and all those little fun cliches about history. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it'll be a great chance for our listeners to maybe even connect more with that history that we're going to be presenting and talking about throughout the semester, throughout the season with our guests. Yeah, absolutely. So in case you're just joining us or you may have forgotten who we are, uh, my name's Sophia. I'm a sophomore here at Auburn studying history and women and gender studies. I love It's All History to me because it gives me the opportunity to talk to various professionals that I would almost exclusively probably never get a chance to talk to outside of this podcast. Like last semester, we got to talk to someone from the Equal Justice Initiative and Pebble Hill, who are people that I probably I don't really interact with every day. And I got to form really great connections, but also get to share those connections and larger discussions with my community with it being on air, and I'm so excited to be back to start this third season. Yeah, woo. All right, and hi everyone again. My name is Victoria. I'm a junior here at Auburn as well, studying history and political science. It's All History to Me has given Sophia and I such an amazing opportunity to have meaningful conversations with a wide array of history professionals, just like Sophia was saying, and I really appreciated how much that insight that we've gotten to gather from those professionals has really expanded my understanding of what the field of history and political science, too, um, are, and how much of an impact those professionals get to make across a variety of different genres. So that's been really amazing. And It's All History to me has allowed me to see firsthand uh, just how important that work of historians is and how those uncovering untold stories, those uh, 
ties between people and power and now bridging the past and the present, they're all vital, vital actions that historians and history professionals get to be a part of, which is really, really fascinating and such a great space to get to uh, share those ideas. So I'm excited to be back. Yeah. Uh, now that we've gotten that out of the way, let's get started. So this week we wanted to focus on a little fun episode. Uh, last semester, the uh, theme of like one's Roman Empire kind of had a resurgence on social media platforms, particularly TikTok. And we had thought about doing an episode on it, but because we already had kind of a full schedule, we decided to push it off. Um, and I think honestly, that was for the best. I think it's a, this is going to be a really fun introduction episode to this third season. Um, but I remember like first seeing this trend and I think it was just like a woman asking her male partner how often he thought about the Roman Empire and it like extremely escalated from there <laughs> of just this trend of, of women asking the men in their lives how often they think about the Roman Empire. <laughs> and I was just shocked at like seeing their responses and the amount of men who were like, I think about it several times a week. Or, like, even, like, at least once a day. And I'm like, how do you possibly, like, what, what is there to think about? <laughs> but, um, yeah, and at least for our case, um, it sort of turned into, like, what sort of, not even necessarily historical things, but a lot of cases historical things mm-hmm. that people think about a lot mm-hmm. or have had a strong impact on them. And that sort of led to this episode where we're discussing um, our own Roman empires. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's been an interesting trend to kind of follow along and see. I know that um, SNL did a skit as well on this and how it kind of ties into uh, other things that people constantly think about or things that people wish uh, would be thought about more. So definitely a fun trend to get to uh, put our own spin on this morning. Yeah, yeah. It's always really interesting that, like, it's more of a male audience thinks about the Roman Empire because it feels like it's, like, exclusively women. uh, Or not, I don't know what I'm saying, it's 8 in the morning. Um, (laughs) It feels more like pretty much men only really think about the Roman Empire. And it's just interesting for me as, like, a history major where, like, the Roman Empire obviously comes up a lot, even if I'm not taking, like, a class on ancient Rome. Right. And it's like, well, I don't even think about it yeah. every yeah. day. I only ever really think about it when we're talking about it in class, and it's just like in one ear and not the other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's definitely interesting. And then uh, we got to have our first meeting with the History Club uh, yesterday, and we went around and asked people what their Roman empires was. And that was interesting, too. Something that stuck out was we had a couple people say World War Two, And I feel like that's something that's pretty consistent, I guess, in um, other historical based conversations or what people say are their favorite uh periods of history world war ii i think is a popular one too so i feel like it's the roman empire the civil war and world war ii yeah it's also like there's also like a level of intenseness of being interested in it that Mm -hmm. i get a little scared of you i'm not gonna lie (laughs) yeah yeah it's impressive what people decide to take up as their area of special interest whether they're you know studying it in college or not So, yeah, definitely. But then uh, that all ties back to, you know, those lessons that we think about uh, of what's the best way to present history or what history are things that people want to know more about. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's an interesting conversation, too, that uh, clearly the Roman Empire has 
permeated into a lot of people's brains from one way or another. So thinking about how that happened and then how we can bring new ideas in and maybe one day have this conversation about another historical period being the most popular one. Yeah, I would agree. I I like I was thinking about this in like preparation for this episode of like why specifically the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. And I guess throwing darts at a wall of just someone just curious and wondering about things. I would imagine it's probably some sort of like post enlightenment uh I guess remnants or ideas because mm-hmm. like the enlightenment was sort of a bringing back or go trying to go back to the Roman times mm. during like the 16th, 17th, 18th century. Mm-hmm. Um, and because that was like the light times and like humanity's enlightenment and sort of like the medieval times were sort of like the dark ages kind of right, thing. Right, right. Um, and sort of viewing that as like, this is the peak of humanity type of thing. Mm-hmm. And I also kind of imagine like specifically men being drawn to it as sort of like we view it as this very like hyper masculine kind of time in history, I guess mm-hmm. is sort of what I think is like I think of ancient Rome and I think of like men and like these heavy metal like uh, soldiers yeah. armor goodness mm-hmm. <laughs> um, fighting each other and just like gore and things like that. And, uh, like I don't typically think of like ancient Rome and ancient Greece and think of women because it's just sort of like their stories kind of get left away and I sort of view it as more of like a more macho heavily masculine kind of period of history and maybe that ties into it maybe it's just people think it's interesting but that's sort of my prediction and thoughts yeah yeah and I think that's such the cool thing about a history is that there's so many uh strands that tie into creating what we remember what we enjoy about history and what we focus on so I think that that can absolutely uh ring true in this case like all that you're saying is it's important to remember that there's a bunch of different things that tie into what makes history popular for people Mm -hmm. and what will make it like lasting as well so yeah I definitely agree that that's an uh important thing to think about too what about what about you what do you think why do you think the Roman Empire is just absolutely running through these men's minds (laughs) yeah well hmm, let's see so what you were saying I felt like was pretty spot on and then also I think it's just like a time with a lot of interesting advancements too mm-hmm. in like technology in uh just thought in general and so i guess like it's those kind of entities that like ability to kind of be out there like as a dominating power but then also i guess it kind of ties into that like era of mythology as well in a way and that that's pretty popular too is those common stories so kind of tying that all together i think it makes for a pretty powerful uh, set of history, set of stories that people like to think back to. And maybe I I can almost draw con- connections between like that and maybe like the 1950s of the U.S. culture as being something that people like to harken back to as like maybe the glory days of America, which I got to talk about in one of my classes last semester and might bring up a little bit later in the show. But yeah, so definitely interesting to think about and I would have to say it's the that innovation in storytelling that brings yeah. the most emphasis it's interesting that you bring up like myths mm. um because I totally forgot about that and now I'm thinking like how much did Percy Jackson right like play into this <laughs> yeah for sure for sure 
and this is just crazy to me because I'm like I'm a per- I was a Percy Jackson kid and like, <laughs> I don't even think about the Roman Empire that much. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Because I don't know. I think it, well with the series out now of the Percy Jackson stuff, I'm sure that this popularity is going to be resurging, and that like the Roman uh, and Greek mythology was always something that was popular, and so bring it into like that modern lens with Percy Jackson is something that got it uh, intrigued or got a whole new generation intrigued by it. So. I think that that definitely plays a part into it in one capacity or another. Yeah. Um, just, yeah. I also, like, I think I'm so grateful to Rick Gordon for, like, writing those books because mm. I think it got a lot of people into, like, reading and history for because sure. of that. Like, I know it, like, really impacted my childhood, and yeah. I'm just, like, oh, I'm so excited for the. I, I've been watch- I've watched a couple episodes of the TV show, mm-hmm. and I'm just excited that, like, there, it's much better than the movies, and <laughs> we're getting a whole new generation to get engaged with those books, right? Um, and especially with a lot more diversity when, with the, than the books had, and mm. a lot more, I guess, nuanced arguments is what I'll say yeah. without spoiling too much. Um, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. It it's an exciting evolution of the series into a whole new way that can bring uh, new new perspectives and new considerations, which I think really is that power of storytelling is that it's something that's meant to uh, engage people and it's not something that's stagnant. And I think that's the thing that we're like thinking about with history too, is like that tension between it being something that remains the same for all time or is it something that can mean different things to different people as time evolves. Yeah. So with that, I think it's a good spot for an ad break, but we will see you in two minutes. Hello, and welcome back to It's All History to Me. If you're just joining us, we're talking about our Roman empires or moments in history that we think a lot about. Um, So Victoria's going to go first and talk about some of hers. Ooh, all right. Welcome back, everyone. And let's, let's see. All right. So my Roman empires. I feel like my brain works pretty thematically, if that makes sense. So instead of thinking more about like one specific event or like, I guess, period, I'm more thinking about like topics, I guess, if that makes sense. So for me, that like, I've been thinking about it all week to try and figure out what my Roman empires would be. And I kind of landed on US history as like my genre, which I think it's largely because of how the political science and history like comes together for me in what I've been uh, doing, the classes that I've been taking. Specifically last semester, I did um, a US history class uh, from 1929 to the present, and then also paired that with an executive politics class. And it was really interesting because there was a lot of intersection between the two. And I feel like that kind of led me to think a lot about like those power dynamics and that structure of like what gets people into those places of authority and influence and then what keeps them there or what uh, eventually causes them to leave. And then also kind of thinking about how people respond to that like power, I guess, if that makes sense too. So like thinking more about what people see in leaders and why they're influential or why they eventually fall out of favor with the public. And I think that that's going to tie in well with what I'm learning about this semester in my classes and then also just like what I'm interested in, you know, uh, surfing, surfing the web about uh, on the on the side, I guess. So yeah, really for me, it's that power dynamic, those leaders that are influential and how they get 
into that influence, I guess, would be my Roman Empire, <laughs> if if that counts. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, cool. I'm glad. I'm glad. Yeah. And I guess for me, uh, at least in the most recent like months, what I've just been, what I've always been thinking about is, yeah, that like the influence of the presidency and things like that specifically. And I guess it's fun to kind of see how that pops up continuously, especially right now as we're getting into um, a new election season and all of that. It's definitely interesting. And then to, you know, kind of Think about how me as someone who's studying political science and history thinks about it versus people that aren't necessarily like using that as their main area of focus. Uh, There was a podcast I was listening to the other day that was talking about how politics is kind of turning into something that people just do as like they think it exists in its own sphere and doesn't, you know, like really count outside of it. So like they can Mm -hmm. cast their vote in kind of like separation from who they are as like a person outside of the voters booth, if that makes sense too. Mm -hmm. So that's definitely been something interesting. And I feel like that ties back into that, like, you know, dynamic of power and just how society is evolving as well. And so I guess that's something that always uh, ends up popping up in my brain too. So you mentioned like having a different perspective because of like your study, your studies, but Mm -hmm. also the, on the upcoming election season. Mm -hmm. How do you find that, like, your studies kind of play into that? Ooh, yeah. Okay, so I think that it has a pretty big influence. And, again, like, with the study stuff, it always depends on what classes are available and what I'm taking and what fits in with how, like, I directly draw those connections. But especially with the, like, executive politics class I got to take last semester, uh, we talked a lot about the uh, Republican debates that they were having uh, as they're working to figure out who's going to get their nomination. And so that was definitely something that played in a lot because we were able to continuously tie that back to, like, the specific stuff we were talking about in class. So that was really uh, powerful and a good influence as well. And then, of course, when it's not an election year, which I've had two other years of, uh, we talk about, like, the current structure of power. But there's always, like, consideration of what's coming next, and that definitely plays a key role in those decisions that are being made at every level is, like, you know, how is this going to get me from here to where I want to go next? And so that's always always an interesting conversation too and something that pretty pretty regularly uh, ties into all of this by Roman Empire is like the incongruency between politics and um, like policy I guess would be the most like concrete example is that you know politics doesn't always equal policy and that's definitely something that is a pretty frequent conversation topic is that you know, what you have to do to get to where you want to go uh, in that political sphere doesn't necessarily translate into the policy that you would, uh, you know, uh, champion if you weren't having to worry about getting to your next uh, next desk that you want to go to. So, yeah, super interesting. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> And so I guess this could tie into uh, history more directly too. Like we, Sophia and I are both in a public history class together this semester. And we started off uh, the week 
talking about uh, the evolution of public history. And I thought it was really, really neat that in the United States specifically, it kind of or originated in those uh, like presidential houses, specifically Mount Vernon, and how that kind of evolved into a field of uh, public history that was then inherited inherited by a different group of people which manipulated it in their own way and has now been inherited by the current um people in historical offices and things like that so that's then super interesting to think about how like the perspective of the presidency was something that people wanted to make sure the public knew and have access to all the way at the beginning of that field. So it's definitely something that is uh, pretty universal in like the American experience, I guess, is those uh, wanting to memorialize the people in power and wanting to ensure that their legacies are something that people can study and think about uh, <laughs> pretty regularly if they so decide. So yeah, definitely a topic that crosses so many different so many different fields and that's what makes it my robot empire. You stole one of mine and I'm Oh no <laughs> I have been thinking about that a lot too and I yeah. it, like I I think it contributes to like how recent it is, but I'm just sort of thinking like I guess something we kind of talked about a lot last semester was like what's in who like of course like some stories are untold, but, like, mm -hmm. untold to who? And it right. like always matters who is telling the story. Mm -hmm. And, like, in the case of, like, what we were talking about in class was, like, it start like, starting off with, like, very upper-class white woman from the South. Mm -hmm. And then it, it turned into white – and also including, like, white men's stories into that and mm -hmm. sort of saying, like, well, how does this sort of, inf like, influence – Mount Vernon's legacy mm -hmm. or the Smithsonian's legacy and things like that. Yeah, um, yeah, as well. yeah. And, like, digging more into that, like, what we're talking about about history is something that I think is what makes the field, like, so interesting, but then also, at the same time, what turns it into controversy is that, like, history isn't something that's cut and dry in the way that, like, you expect or anticipate or learn that it should be at, like, the very beginning, like, when you're just focused on those names and dates. Uh, but then as you evolve and have the chance to grow and learn more about history, you start to realize that it's something that people see from different perspectives. And so one event that happens isn't something that's going to be conceived the same way across the board. So then you have to figure out, well, whose perspective is going to be the one that gets to... Uh, live on in the memories of the public and that's something that's a super important conversation and can have so many different uh, like implications for the future and something that I guess you don't have the opportunity to think about unless you're kind of prompted to do so and I think that's almost the danger of it too is that you don't realize that it's something that can be manipulated until it's either uh, too late or, or you realize and then you have your mind blown and need to uh, look back on what you've what you've learned so yeah definitely interesting yeah I would agree like I'm specifically thinking of like archives like mm. you can go to an archive and anything that you find or searching for like somebody had to go and say that this is worth preserving right and not uh, not only that but it didn't need to like immediately be destroyed mm -hmm. um so you're just sort of dealing with the bias of like who first collected that object and right. now who is taking it to the archive mm -hmm. who is deciding that 
this is this is relevant but this isn't relevant Mm -hmm. and like this will bring out and display for people but other things we won't so just sort of like thinking about what kind of filters kind of bring that up right yeah and how that evolves as time goes on too of like what is deemed important or not and then like you know it's of course it's people with their own biases and not like you know just non-entities that are collecting things so even after like the decision is made on if this is worthy of saving or not then it's up to that individual person to make sure that it's like fully documented I guess and then in a place that can be found again so I guess that's the endless pursuit of history is trying to figure out uh you know that more holistic story and why we always need historians is because there's always another perspective to share and uh that can really help to reconsider things as well and I guess that's something that's an interesting conversation too is like how do the non-historians interact with that history when they realize that there's more than one uh, level to it and how do we get that message across in the best way possible but also you know a time efficient way because no one has forever so mm-hmm. yeah yeah and I think like the same sort of idea sort of transfers over to museums mm-hmm. I read one book that I can't remember the name of a couple years ago that sort of talked about how different museums and like their focuses kind of change your perspective mm. or can change one's perspective and like why museums at times can be problematic and it was mostly mm-hmm. talking about like art museums but mm. it did sort of talk about like the origin of, of museums sort of being with like private collections yeah and sort of existing at the t- same time as like young men doing like grand tours or they would travel across the world to get like life experience and whatnot mm. and like sort of with those private collections as you can probably imagine where this is going it was not <laughs> things they should have been it, it was things they probably shouldn't have had right um, right and that's kind of like the thing like I think about that whatever the headline that the museum of a newspaper for about the British Museum where they were like the British Museum needs your help finding some of their stolen artifacts and it's like they're in the museum <laughs> everything in the British Museum is stolen like if you took it like it's just crazy to me it's like you also have to deal with the fact that, like, sometimes it was collected in really unethical ways mm. and maybe it shouldn't even be there in the first place. Yeah, yeah, which is such another interesting set of conversations. And, again, all ties back to that power and who who has the control over that narrative. And something that, like, you know, it's our biasy to have that power and that control over things that I think really is what's at the core of like this conversation because getting those artifacts back to the people where they belong uh, will be hard for those people that currently hold them because it's bringing in tourist dollars, it's bringing in intrigue, it's bringing a different set of knowledge to people that uh, then if it disappears that hopefully will spread to its original place and be back with the people that it belong to originally which makes complete sense uh but then at the same time i guess the argument the devil's advocate would be that then those items are at more risk i guess of like you know not being protected in the same capacity that they were in their um second location i guess from their original one so always an interesting conversation and i think that's what makes it fun is the nuance and the ability to kind of you know, have have those fun conversations that maybe you come in with two different perspectives, but you leave just at least knowing more about what the other side thinks. Yeah, I agree. And on that note, we're going to take our second ad break, but we'll see you in two minutes. Woo!
Hello, and welcome back to It's All History to Me here on uh, WEGL 91.1 FM. Uh, we're starting back our third season, which is all about the theme of bridging the past to the present. And to get that started this semester, Sophia and I have been talking about our Roman empires, which is kind of a play on a popular trend of like historical moments that people frequently think back to. So I started off with talking about my Roman empires, and now it's Sophia's turn. So Sophia, what are your Roman empires? Uh, thank you for the introduction. Um, of course. So there's so many, but I would say... <laughs> The, similarly to you, it's mostly a U.S.-based mm-hmm. kind of thoughts. I don't really think that much about, like, non-U.S.-based history, because for the most part, that's what I've studied and what I know. Right. Um, and that's also just fine that, like, even when I study things outside of it, I'm still more drawn to U.S. history. Mm. Um, the kind of curveball there is I'm really interested in Russian history. <laughs> um, and I would have taken the class this semester, but it was at the same time as another class, oh. because that kept happening this semester, and I'm yeah. really upset about it. Um, but I'm interested sort of, I would say maybe in like to like the 1700s to like the present, Mm. but, um, I guess I'm sort of specifically interested in like Tolstoy and his work. Um, I'm thinking, so our, here at Auburn, our theater program is performing Natasha Pierre and the Great Common of 1812, which is based off of a section of War and Peace. Ah. I am so excited for this performance. <laughs> like, I I absolutely adore this musical. And I, like, if you want to talk about another Roman Empire that I'm not going to get to on air because it's not really historical, is the 2017 Tonys, <laughs> um, where it was absolutely robbed. I'm, like, still upset about it. <laughs> um, but it is just, like, it's a a pop opera, I think is the correct genre. Hmm. Don't hold me to that. But um, I really think just sort of like Russian culture is very interesting. Yeah. And I'm also very interested in the Russian Revolution and particularly like the last royal family of Russia ah. is so interesting to me. Um, just because it's like, like their story is very interesting to me because I always think about how like I read this one book and how like famously like sort of moved from their ca- like their castle and like the palace to um uh, other homes much hmm. sm- smaller homes in russia during hmm. the revolution once like the monarchy had been overthrown this is kind of a gross simpl- simplification um <laughs> but they had sort of carried all of like their jewels on them oh. and then when they were like supposed to be put to death by a firing squad the bullets like ricocheted off of the jewelry and it's where a lot of like the myths that they may have survived come from because Mm. like they're put into this basement and then they're shot at and then they survive the first time wow um and but then they are eventually killed um and like the book that i had sort of read was like talking about like different effort like always the sort of like fantasy elements of like one of them may still be alive, but they believe to have found, like, their, like, I guess, mass grave site. Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of talking about, like, the DNA um, process to sort of verify that it was them. And, like, wow. it was just really interesting. Yeah, that is really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I also think about, like, Rasputin. Like, I'm thinking right. of the Just Dance song. Yes. But also <laughs> just, like, very interesting things. Like, one of my, like... Every time I fight the urge to say this, every time the song comes on, <laughs> but like it's like the lyric is like 
lover of the Russian queen. But it's actually, that's not true. It's like a common misconception mm. that was actually pushed by like the Russian media at the time because they had sort of like, I believe, like gotten a hold of one of her lover letters at the time. And she just sort of had this very like flowery, very lovely language mm. that they had misconstrued as like an affair. Oh, interesting. But she spoke to like, all of her letters were like that, apparently. Huh. Wow. And I just always, always think about that. Yeah. Um, and so that's my, like, I think about Russian history a lot. Yeah. Because it's always, it's kind of like this, like, very isolated place mm-hmm. for a long time. And then it's sort of trying to, like, bring Europe's influence into it. Yeah. And now you sort of have this, like, communist influence. And it's sort of at odds with the U.S. Some t- at times. And now just sort of, like whatever yeah. you say is there now and it's just very interesting to me that is really interesting um but yeah, uh, yeah. those are my that's my like one curveball and i would i would love to study it in some capacity but i took russian here at auburn and it's online and it's i know <laughs> i've had enough <laughs> it was really tough i i did not take the second one yeah um but yeah, I just think it's really interesting. Yeah, that's so cool. So how did you first get like introduced to Russian history? Um, I it was Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of eighteen twelve. Okay. Kind of also just like world history classes yes. in high school. Like I think like freshman year that was the first time that we sort of talked about okay. the Russian Revolution, things like that. And I just remember being like fascinated by yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that kind of just escalated from there and like I read some of Tolstoy's work and I'm hoping to read more. And I also think about Sonia, her uh, Tolstoy's Tolstoy's wife a lot. That's another one of my Roman empires. Is that she like hand, like I maybe edited as well, but also like um, translated his work. Hmm. And if you think about his works like Anna Karenina and like War and Peace, those are those are very thick texts. Right, they're like several hundred pages long. Mm -hmm. Um, So just like. The amount of, like, labor and work that she did for him is yeah. always something that I think about. Yeah. And, like, her legacy is kind of in his work. Because mm-hmm. um, Sonia from – if you go see Natasha Pierre, the Great Comet of 1812, um, one of the characters is named Sonia, which is named after his wife. But, like, at the same time, like, she did so much work for him. And I'm wow. just – Yeah, yeah, that's so fascinating. Oh, super interesting. Because I remember talking a little bit about Russian history in, like, my AP World History class, I think. So that's so cool that it stuck so well for you and is something that you keep looking to. And what a great plug for the uh, theater department as well. Yeah, I will definitely be there front row, like. (laughs) Oh, that's so fun. I just also, I also think it's just, like, a fantastic musical. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, outside of that... Oh goodness, so many things. I I think honestly, like some of these I I have research interest interest in, and some of them like mm. something that I'm like interested in for fun. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I would definitely say like space history is one of them. I'm right. sort of Ooh. like pulling away from it as a career objective. Mm. I'm trying to figure out what exactly I want to do right after undergrad. Um, but I do really like enjoy space history i actually wrote my like admissions essay into the honors college about space history a little bit because my like kind of premise for my argument was like there's this common story that like the u.s spent like millions of money and thousands of hours developing um an anti-gravity pin you can like buy in the gift shop now at the (laughs) space museum that's funny um 
and like the joke here is like the Russians just bought pencils, mm. um, and it's sort of like a joke on like Americans being too much, but in reality, like it's much more like dangerous to bring a pencil to space because it has like the tendency to like break, right. and that could pop some of the machinery or like break it and things mm. like that. So it's actually smart and i th- yeah my emissions essay was like i think sometimes it's okay to overthink or something like that right. i don't really remember it's somewhere on my laptop yeah um but i think about that and i think about like how is like space in the american imagination how has nasa impacted the populations around it how has sort of like what does like space history look like things like that like if you want to talk about like the rise of STEM education, mm, mm-hmm. you really can't ignore NASA because, like, part of it, I guess, like, the Cold War as a whole. Because mm-hmm. um, it kind of just, like, we said we need more scientists and engineers, and that pushed it into, like, education. Right. And now we sort of have this more focus in, like, the STEM fields mm-hmm. to summarize it very broadly. Um, yeah. So I was very interested in that. Um, just also, like, airplane history. I guess going back to NASA, I did write, I wrote a research paper last semester on um the transition of the NACA into NASA and Mm. how like it kind of made it difficult for these communities around these NACA this is the National Advisory Committee for Aeronautics which what like NASA eventually overcame Mm. and like took their kind of stuff and focused it more in space but also still did this uh the plane stuff that they had done before I feel like I should have explained that first but (laughs) um they had sort of had these communities where they had hosted like carnivals and like I had I read this one interview he's like we hosted a carnival and then the funds we got from that we used to build a community gym mm. that later once it became NASA they tried to um, tear down oh. in order to build more research facilities and that was sort of like the trend I found was like a lot of it was like you now have NASA you have more employees mm. you have more a, a rise of people in a more bureaucratic decision uh, position where they're like um they're more doing the energy stuff as opposed to like engineering stuff mm-hmm. and that and you have more legal issues where they're like don't do that that's dangerous right. um so that was sort of my like research paper and I thought that that was really interesting yeah um, absolutely and that's such a cool like topic as well because of how that you know like you were saying goes into like the popular imagination in such a way as well and I think that that makes it such a like really distinct Roman Empire, so to speak, as well, where it's something that people, like, reinterpret and rethink about and, like, reevaluate so consistently, like, even in, like, the popular media, too, like, with science fiction and all of that. So, yeah, that's a super cool topic, uh, and the science fiction element of it, too. What do you think about that? Can you you repeat the question again? Oh, yeah, sure. (laughs) So what do you think about how the popular imagination takes this, like, idea and reinterprets it into science fiction? Do you think it's something that will be beneficial for, for, like, that space history genre? Or do you think it's something that's kind of, like, taking it in a direction that you don't think is as positive? Okay, so... I think I'll have a better answer for this. I'm taking science fiction as intellectual history with Dr. Oh, Dortner right now. Yeah. And I think I'll have a better answer at the end of the semester. Mm-hmm. But I think there's pros and cons to like any science fiction work where it's like typically there is some sort of like idea or mm-hmm. I guess narrative. Right. It gets annoyed when we say bias. <laughs> um, coming across in our in these works. Mm-hmm. Um because, like, 
he frequently mentions like there is neo-nazi science fiction mm. but there is also progressive science fiction mm. um so it's a bit of a toss-up and i think with like something like nasa i'm glad that people are like interested in it mm-hmm. but it's also kind of like what kind i think that the danger is and like what kind of narratives are we pushing and like showing in the narrative or right through our story right, right, that right. Makes sense yeah that makes sense because like no work or idea even if like it's quote-unquote like ex- like pol- fully aware f- away from politics or any sort of like social commentary that in mm. itself is a social commentary right right so that's what I would say, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And definitely, like, a whole different lens to kind of look on that, like, society perspective of things. And that totally makes sense is how, how we interpret that and how that evolves is something that uh, can be a cool mirror into looking at, like, you know, what it is to be an American interested in STEM right now. Yeah. Uh, very interesting perspective to talk to my, I guess, STEM colleagues <laughs> at Auburn. I'm oh, like, yeah. Ugh. I'm very grateful to be a history major. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would say outside of that, um, I kind of just have more of like a focus in the 20th century as mm. a whole. Not really. I think before that, there are things that I definitely find interesting, but I'm definitely not as drawn to. Mm-hmm. I guess one of those things that's kind of an outlier is um, I'm really obsessed with Little Women. Yeah. And like, with, by Louisa May Alcott. And also the 2019 movie, which is just amazing. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And I just think about it all the time. Um, I just really love that movie and that book. And I think it's just like a really beautiful tribute to her legacy as mm. an author. And I'm just, Greta Gerwig is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is a great movie with a with a great impact as well. Yeah. And with that, let's go into our last ad break. Welcome back to It's All History to Me. Uh, at the very end of all, of our first episode of season three. Um, and to wrap things up today, we wanted to do another trend um, <laughs> that you might have seen called like ins and outs, which is sort of talking about um, things that are in, things that we you want to see or are good for the new year versus outs, which are bad things that you want to see go away in like the new year so victoria would you like to go first Ooh, ins okay so i guess keeping it with our historical trend here ins something that i want to see in 2024 uh specifically i guess in season three is more stories about how the history that we're learning in the classroom applies to the present and how like that's being done by those professionals out there in the field as well and then I guess out would be maybe just like, you know, having a closed mind or not like considering those other perspectives or trying to like, you know, maybe unconsciously, maybe consciously limit yourself to only one like, you know, side of the story. Let's have more of uh, that like varying perspectives. Yeah, I agree. I like that a lot. Yay. I would say my in is um, reading more work from historians Hmm. um i think it's just good to support historians work and sort of be engaged in like the discussion that's going on amongst historians Mm -hmm. um that's not always like filtered by like for the public Mm. um which like has its pros and cons with that right um and also just like for me personally i think 
I'm trying to read more because I'm trying to sort of get engaged with like historical writing and mm-hmm. like how are people using primary sources or just making arguments as a whole right um just sort of for my own improvement um and then out just because I was just complaining about this not responding to emails <laughs> but honestly that's maybe a little bit hypocritical for me but I was just complaining about how I have a professor who like we have to email him as part of an assignment and then he doesn't respond with like I got it, and that really stresses me out, and I don't <laughs> like it. And also, we've contacted some people this semester, and they're like, you just found your email. <laughs> <laughs> ah, well, on that note, I guess it's time for our thank yous and our uh, closing off for the week. So, of course, we'd like to thank uh, Weagle for having us on this uh Radio Hour, allowing us to share their space and time with all of you. And thank you, of course, to Colby, who is our researcher for our podcast and Radio Hour. And thank you for all the work that you do. Of course, thank you to the History Department for their continued support. And Dr. Schultz, who is the History Club's advisor. And then thank you, listeners. Uh, We're so thrilled to be back for a third season, thanks to your support. So let's make it a great one. See you next week. See you next week. You've been listening to It's All History to Me, the show dedicated to exploring the people, places, and ideas of our past. Be sure to tune in next Thursday at 8 a.m. for more. But for now, keep it here on Weagle 91.1. See you next time. <laughs>